Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property. You're with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Today, we are talking about the long game. We're tracking the 30 years of real estate performance right around the country and and we're looking at uh, regionals, we're looking at capital cities, we're looking at units, we're looking at houses. We're going to break it all down for you because we've uh, had some data come through this week. We're also going to talk about the proposed rent freeze and this debacle we're facing with uh, housing affordability but also the uh, housing shortage so we're going to go into detail about that plus uh, a few things more so emily let's get into this let's do it john i love a good infographic and something that has caught my eye and i think listeners who also follow core logic on the old instagram will have seen some data floating around this week, which just really reiterates this idea of a long-term game. And we're going to get into that in a second. But let's just touch on something that's super important, right? We can all get caught up in these media headlines of the market crashing and the bottoms yet to come and people are losing money and equity. But it is a very millennial thing, actually, that sometimes we focus on the instant gratification, the here and now, and the what next, but we don't always have a great view of hindsight or long-term view or thinking about factors that actually impact a property decision long-term. So I think it's really important to note, as you and I have mentioned many a time, property is indeed a long-term game. And if you're not prepared for a long-term game, maybe don't play the property game. No, that you're right. And I was saying to someone yesterday, it, it's actually quite a boring old game. Is you, you spend a couple of months researching and negotiating and getting a feel for what you want to buy and designing a strategy and, and all that sort of stuff. But once it's settled, you, you're just letting it do its thing, and you almost forget that you've got it um, because a lot of it is taken over by your by your property manager. So, or in most cases, anyway. So it's uh, it's really important to understand, and not just for the young, but also the old that it is a long game and whilst we'd like to be able to pick the bottom of the market and get ourselves the deal of the century, uh, generally if we're going to try and do that, we may end up with egg on our face a lot of the time because uh, all economists, uh, all all experts or so-called experts try to pick where the markets are at at any one time around the country. And you're seeing it at the moment, Emily, aren't you, in the media where like housing prices are dropping and, and it's all doom and gloom in respect to that. But what we're seeing on the ground is completely different and, and especially in the markets that we're wanting to buy in, um, the, the story is, is, a, is a much different one. But 
Yeah, it's it's interesting the last thirty years of performance because I'm a little bit older than you, Emily. So I've got a bit of uh, background to say. Well, when when uh, when these stats started, I was fifteen years of age. So um, whilst I wasn't looking at realestate.com back then, uh, it's interesting to see how everything's been trending. And I think it's such a focal point to like I heard an agent speaking recently about this long term game as they often do, and. For anyone listening out there who is potentially selling a property at the moment and a bit apprehensive about the selling side, it's so interesting that sellers are focusing on the 5% that they're not getting because they didn't sell sooner, maybe at the height of the market, rather than the, you know, double the money that they've gotten out of holding the property for 12, 15, 20 years, whatever it might be. We do get focused on our losses and not so much our wins. And I think that applies across life in general. So that's why it is important to have a well-rounded view. Um, And some of the data that CoreLogic has put out gives us just that in number form. So if you're a numbers person, you'll like this. (laughs) So there's a whole report. We've got a whole PDF sitting in front of us. We don't uh, intend to bore you with the the ins and outs of the entire thing. But the infographic that caught my mind, and you can go and check out CoreLogic on Instagram, So they're looking at the 30 years of capital growth between 1992 to 2022. God, that's actually really scary. (laughs) That's 30 years. I'm a 93 baby. So looking at that is, that's a real uh, life sitting me in the face right there. Um, So the increase in the combined capitals for, for houses over that time, the increase has been 453.1% in an uplift. So the difference in dollar gain of what they've put it at is $760,879, bringing the median for the July, month of July, to $928,812. So, I mean, 453% increase over 30 years. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So, like when uh, I suppose you look at the the share market trends and the, the blue chip shares in the ASX two hundred versus the blue chip property, you you see certain periods of of uh, growth, and then you'll see certain periods of retraction, don't you? And and this is evident in the actual capital cities broken down. So whilst the Average that you mention across the capital cities is 453. Um, the highest 30-year growth rate was the city of Melbourne with 5.9% per annum. So if you say, right, 30 years ago, uh, I, I can get myself a 6% average growth return over the 30-year period, then that's that's been a great outcome. The lowest of that 30-year period was Perth, um, but it still had a 4.8% per annum return. Um, so I, th- I think that the key's not necessarily when we bought in. Uh, whilst that's important, the key is, well, riding the waves to be able to experience that average over a journey. Indeed. I think uh, it always helps to look at the big figure and, and break it down for context And all in all, I think the general consensus across every state and having looking at these graphs that are state by state in front of me at the moment is the upwards trend is just crazy. Like overall, yes, you've got dips and yes, we have bumps, but the upwards trend all in all is um, as safe as houses, as they say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, I think because we're in real estate, 
we, we get a lot of people come up to us with their observations and thoughts and what do you think, John, what do you think, Emily, etc. But the, the biggest, I suppose, piece of commentary I get, and it's probably been the last three years more so than any, is, is the market can't continue to go up. Like it's got to come down at some stage. And my commentary to that is let's look at the last 30 years like we're, we're doing here today and see that, yes, we will have some sort of retra- retraction at different times and, and you can do a lot of research as to what areas are going to be most affected by that and what uh, dwelling types are going to be most affected by that. Uh, but generally speaking, it, it recovers to go past the previous high and I think that's the key here is when you look at those graphs that we're looking at and whilst you're listening, you, you can't see them but... Uh, run with us on it is you, you may see some dips and and that goes below the previous high but then in a period of time and it's usually around about 18 to 24 months it goes back past that previous high that might have been three four years ago correct uh, what we will do is maybe see if CoreLogic will allow us to put the link to this PDF because I know there's people who listen every single week and I know this from meeting them at the live event recently. Yes. Um, I can't believe people listen to us every single week. Not that, not that we're not uh, providing value, but I'm like, wow, that's dedication. And that thank is. you. Shout out to those people who are every Wednesday in the car listening to us. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, but if you listen every week, chances are you might be a bit of a property nerd, self-confessed property nerd. So we'll try and get the link to the PDF um, so you've got a bit of a graphic. What I think is really interesting, John, is the way that the shapes of the graph vary across the different states and territories. Yes. But most notably, both Brisbane and Adelaide, and I think this somewhat would be situation related in the pandemic have just got this straight line up. Like it's not even like a wiggle, wiggle up. Yeah. It's just a straight up. And the majority of their increase has really been in the last 10 year period. Without that, they wouldn't foresee um, that average being, you know, 4.85% per year. So yeah. that's really interesting, the situational change as well that's occurred in some of those quieter uh, states and territories. Yeah, totally. And and then like the devil's in the detail. So you look at that high percentage figure across say Melbourne, for example, and then you look at the, the almost 6% per annum over 30 years, which is outstanding. Uh, but the, you then narrow down and say, well, what dwelling type was that? What, what local council gave us the best uh, result over that time? Now, and, and then you start to ask yourself, well, Will it repeat itself? Will it be that same council? Will it be that same dwelling type going forward? So um, just to pull one out of the hat here, we've got the Yarra um, City Council was the highest performing Melbourne council, right? Now, you uh, you know Yarra quite well in, in Melbourne, Emily, but theirs was 779%. The value dollar change was f- 1.4 million, okay? And that's really important to understand is that, is that whilst percentages are great, we've also got to look at dollar change because that's what's driving the wealth of the individual. Indeed, and to your case in point on city councils, you know, not just the overall picture, it's almost like when the schools put out their... Uh, their ATAR averages, you know, we've done so well, the class of 2022 has gotten this, but there's someone who's maybe not even passed and there's someone who's well and truly trumped the average and you got to you got to remember that it is a collective average not an area specific. You can get granular and look at the councils, mm. so make sure you do do that because it wouldn't be the same statistic applied to all. And and to our point, you take the eastern suburbs of Sydney 
um, for all the Sydney listeners, shout out. Uh, it only had 642% over that 30-year period. But listen to the dollar value change, 3.833 million. That's nuts. So what would you rather, a 779% re- uh, increase um, with 1.4 or 642 and 3.8? Sydney side is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's pretty obvious, right? But that's where the detail is really critical. So a media headline uh, hasn't got that level of detail. So we need to dig down deeper into that. Um, and, and also notice that in our top listings, uh, that we do not see too many councils where units have uh, are in that list. Yeah, it's a very good observation. Even just the difference, uh, the data broken down by houses versus units. I do wish they would account for, like, you can't get this specific, but you know, like house size townhouses because sometimes yes. they sell for right. the same dollar value. But yes, it is interesting to note that overwhelmingly houses have well and truly outperformed the unit markets across yeah. all that data. And and it would be good to do that and may uh, maybe a good idea to do one bed versus two bed, two bed versus mm. three bed, whether that be across dwelling types as well. But but in any case, look, you can uh, you can rip this data to, to pieces and angle it every which way you want. Um, but the fact is over the journey um, and reiterating your point, Emily, is, is it needs to be that long game and – we never pick the bottom of the market. If we do, I'm going to put it out there and say it's luck uh, and and know that the right time to buy is when you've got your strategy in order, when you can get lending and your mind says, yes, I need to add property to my wealth creation diversification uh, system that's going on in my life and, and I'm going to get that done at that time and, and not hang on another 12 months or two years and wait for the, for the bottom to occur. Don't listen to the noise. Even this has been news to you, but I personally am looking to buy a property at the moment for myself to live in. Right. Oh, the, uh, the big commitment. Next will be the, big, uh, the, the wedding commitment. bells. <laughs> I don't know about wedding bells. I don't know. We'll see. But it's a big commitment because it's a yard for the dog. That's, that's yes. the uh, stage of life we're at. But it's interesting even the profession that I hold and, and the position that I'm in, you know, dad's like, oh, you know, 12, 18 months, will it be the bottom? I'm like, be quiet. I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> so I don't need your opinion. I don't need anyone's opinion. And that's an educated opinion because he's in the industry, right? Well, he's in he commercial is. anyway. So yes, yes. But love I mean, to get his reasoning on it. Yeah. Uh, I also think sometimes it's a bit of a luck throwing out. Oh, you know, I told you so. But yeah. Who even knows these things? It'd be very rich if we all did. But yeah. it is. It is interesting, even being on the opposite side now of, of going to buy a property, I can see why people get so easily influenced and worried and scared when the market isn't going as strong as it has been. I get it. But to your point, John, when you're financially ready, when you've got made the commitment and you've got the right mindset, that's when it's the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And and we do a lot of property plans for people to say, well, okay, in 10 years, 15 years, 20, time, uh, 20 years time, where do we want to be? And if we're adding one or two or three properties or 10 properties, the, the numbers are relevant um, at certain periods. What are we, what's it going to look like over, over the journey? And if we can 
comfortably apply that 5% or 6% per annum and not expect the the tens and the 12% that we've been experiencing lately, uh, the, the numbers look pretty attractive. If, uh, if it ends up being higher than 6%, then great, well done. If you can get a discount on the way in, fantastic. If you can add, add some value along the journey, that's going to also fast track your wealth. Um, but the, the, the key on the key is having the uh, eye on the prize long term. Indeed. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to do a slight change of pace. And if you've been paying any attention to the property market headlines of late, you will have noticed an idea floating around for a two-year rent freeze. John and I thought we'd better address it and what we think. So we'll be back in just a moment to discuss. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right, so you've had a big freeze in Melbourne, Emily, in the last three months, being uh, being winter. Um, <laughs> but this freeze is not an ideal freeze from my point of view. I don't know what your thoughts are, but the Australian Greens have come out and said uh, private rents need to be frozen for the next twenty four months so that people can afford to to live. Do you know what? It's just. I see both sides. I actually do. And I've seen a lot of, because I went digging on a Facebook thread of comments related to this article. And I get the people who are renting and how hard it is right now. But I also, being one of both myself, a landlord and a tenant, I get the stress that would cause for someone who is making repayments on an investment property. Like we need, we've spoken about this before, we need investment properties so people can rent. That That is mm. the way it does need to be. But I think what, what really blew this article out of the water is there was another addition to it floating around that someone who owned like a ridiculous amount of property, like it was 238 properties, says that uh, it will impact him and his cash flow and and people thought it was a fake headline like it was one of those yep. have you seen that what is the beetroot advocate or something rather floating around uh, yeah uh batuta batuta that's sort of yes. beetroot. yeah yeah <laughs> <Listen> <laughs> beetroot. yeah let's run with that batuta um <laughs> and so it blew it out of proportion but the the problem is potentially the perception of tenants is that 
landlords or property investors are greedy. And that's the commentary I've seen floating around and that's what makes it really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And and when something like this comes out, there's a there's a national divide and, and you can't win either way. And all you can have is an opinion and we've got that here today and, and you, you haven't paid anything for it. So um, here it is sort of thing. But I think when you look at uh, my, my concern would be, well, if if we freeze it for two years, it's it's like fixing your interest rate. You freeze it for two years. What's the what's the fix after that? So mm. you come out of that two year uh, period. You want to make sure that you've saved what you would have um, had to give to the rental increase and put that away for a rainy day. Is that going to change someone's life? It may for the next six months or nine months, but fundamentally something needs to change uh, either in their life or for the government to be able to create more housing so that rents aren't so expensive, right? Now, I grew up in country Victoria, total population 300 people, I can go and rent there for $150 a week, right? Now, there is some affordability out there, but we all don't want to live in a place like that. So I get that, yep, we need to be front and centre to jobs and and family and everything else. Uh, But I just think that there are other options than going and freezing the rent. It's going to be a band-aid to majority of people. I agree. And it is a question of, well, after that, then what? You know, do we see this all of a sudden upwards increase of everyone recouping what they effectively lost over the two years from an investor perspective? There's got to be a balance in there somewhere. And I do think the rental laws uh, around rent increases in most states have been effective in the way that landlords can actually approach a, a rental increase uh, more generally. But I also don't think that there's this notion of landlords going out there to unnecessarily increase rent. Like I've spoken to plenty of property investors who are happy with their tenants. They want to keep them happy. And yeah, they probably aren't getting the top market rate return in terms of uh, rent per week. But to them, not having a headache of a tenant is actually worth something. And so, you know, $10 less a week, whatever it might be, does work out okay. So there are two sides to this, I think. There are landlords who aren't even charging market rate yet. Uh, yeah, and then absolutely. Yeah. It, it and, does, yeah. And in, in Queensland, I'm experiencing the, the worst rental increase out of all mm. areas around the country. Like we've got clients that have got property up there that are saying, well, the, the rental management company said I can increase my rent by $150 a week. That doesn't feel right to me. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. Um, but the, the facts are that that's actually the market rent up there. So the problem's not my client who owns a property up there. The, the problem is we're not building enough houses and we're not ha- there's not enough accommodation for people to be, a, to be able to live. And something like this, the, the only way we can create accommodation for people is for investors to buy property. Mm. So if Correct. investors don't buy property, then we haven't got people, we haven't got houses for tenants to, to come and live in. So if we're going to put rent freezes on or we're going to create a land tax system that's unfair, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, all we're doing is stopping investors from investing, uh, which actually makes the problem worse. The other solution is looking at the density of housing, right? Because I think a lot of people automatically think, construction, house and land, estates, first home buyer market, 
but they don't often pay much attention to the density of dwellings in the inner and middle ring of the majors and looking at what that could possibly be like, you know, apart, oversized apartments, townhouses, one of four or five on the block. I do, I made a prediction on an episode, I cannot remember when it was, but I did make one around apartments becoming attractive again, particularly with migration, because we're not even factoring in, God, we're just trying to deal with what we've got at the moment, let alone yeah. migration and proper re-migration back to yes. Australia from expats. I do think the apartment market will become popular and take a swing of the fact that you, it's affordable to be in and it has centralised access to a lot of things and people forego a bit of living space to be in the heart of where they want and they can actually afford to buy that mm. as opposed to rent. It still doesn't fix the problem, but I do think it will be a trend that people start looking at. Yeah. And then we've got construction and construction costs. Like it's a never-ending cycle of trying to fix one thing and then running into another. But yeah, it is an interesting concept that you would consider freezing their rents for two years and, and then what, deal with the disaster afterwards. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know where I stand on it. Yeah, it's been a, a bit of a perfect or imperfect storm uh, in the last couple of years where uh, things like floods have washed houses away. We've We've had... Um, interest rate rises, which meant that people haven't been able to save the money they needed to buy their own home for the mm. first time. Um, and then the unaffordability of rents. And, and if you look, we're talking 30-year trends here. The, the other thing that happens more often than most is after growth of a property market, if, if houses go up in value in a period of time, what will follow is the rent growth because there'll be less people being able to buy into those markets because of the unaffordability. So this is a natural progression in a cycle is rents increase. Now, they're not going to continue to increase uh, if we continue to, to build more housing, but mm. that's the issue we're facing, isn't it, is we're not building enough houses and it's roughly 10,000 a year that we're uh, missing the mark by and you mentioned international migration hasn't even kicked off again to its, uh, yeah, once it's full tilt, then then look out. Maybe there's going to be a problem of overcrowded dwellings also. Like if there's not physically enough dwellings available for the people that need them, not only does homelessness become a problem, but overcrowding dwellings becomes an issue as well because people might bunk in with friends yep. or family, you know, and a house that's made for four people all of a sudden accommodating six or eight <laughs> becomes a bit overcrowded. Yeah, and, and what I'm seeing a lot of locally, and I went through a house this morning that was nearly built or, or nearly completed, and it's mum and dad have downsized and the the son wants to buy their first home, so they've gone and built a, a duplex together or a, uh, basically a... Uh, dual living situation. So they've got a, a live-in babysitter next door, uh, but they haven't got the large mortgage that comes with buying a um, Torrance title property on its own. So there's going to be a lot more of that going on as well. So you've, you've got to think strategically for your situation. Now, not all that might be ideal. You mightn't want to have to bunk in with four or five, but the facts are short-term pain for that sort of long-term gain outlook. I agree. Now, just before we wrap up, you mentioned something to me before we started recording that is going to be informative for me and the listeners <laughs> around <laughs> some legislation or changes to do with Queensland and their land tax. What's the goss? Yeah, look, I talked to a lot of people and I, I thought we may have mentioned it on the show before, but maybe not. Um, so basically, the Queensland government 
uh, have proposed a change, legislation coming in July 2023, so just under 12 months, whereby uh, you, you buy an investment property in Queensland and there's under under the current situation, your land tax threshold, or first of all, I'll go back a step, land tax is payable uh, on the value of a land over a certain threshold amount. So let's take 600K for an example, right? And I think it might be that in Queensland, but don't, don't uh, hold me to it. If your land value, not your total value, just your land value, and that's usually on your rates notice, if that's over 600K, you'll pay a percentage of land tax and it might be like 0.1% on the, on the value over each year and you'll pay that according to the value of your land each year as governed by the, the land titles office. So Queensland in their wisdom are saying, well, okay, you can buy an investment property in Queensland from July 2023 onwards, uh, but we're also going to take into account your investment properties in other states to calculate your land tax in Queensland. Mm. So not sure how it's legal, not sure why they're doing it or or how they're even doing it, um, but there's massive uproar at the moment from from obviously property bodies because uh, it basically stops investors going and buying an investment in Queensland um, and, and it's just going to, to our point about housing shortage, it's going to make that uh, an extreme amount of uh, um, issue going forward. So, yeah. Is it all properties that you own or just other investment properties in other states, like not Correct. the DPR? Yeah. So, okay. one, one thing with the land tax is it doesn't uh, – your principal place of residence is excluded uh, at, at the time of talking anyway. Um <laughs> But your, or your other investment property. So if you're someone that's got an investment property in New South Wales, one in Victoria, and now you're looking to buy one in Queensland, then you just need to check your numbers on that. So really they'd have to be liaising with the other state uh, revenue officers or the state land tax representatives that actually put a land value on each of those dwellings and then looking at a cumulative total and then working it out, which seems like a lot of work. Yes, and obviously the devil's always in the details, so I'm not sure how it plays out, but I'm thinking, hang on, if I'm already paying land tax in, say, New South Wales, for example, yeah. uh, I'm going to be double whammy whacked in Queensland as well um, just because I've got property in other states. So any case, there's um, uh, bodies that are trying to turn turn this over and, and meet with the government to say, oh, this just isn't logical. What are we doing it for? Obviously, it's a revenue raising like any any taxes are to make sure our roads are, are safe and the, the gardens are mowed and everything else, but uh, there's there's got to be logic applied. does Indeed. nothing for our housing uh, shortage. That is very true. Interesting. I have to keep an eye on that one and keep people posted. Um if this has been like the first episode that you've listened to of ours, it's a bit different to other topics that we do. Like John and I just thought today we'd go through a couple of key items that have been floating around in the media uh, in particular. But we did do a three-part series around the buying process recently, which those episodes are already up. They'll be prior to this recording. If you are new to the podcast, welcome, first and foremost. But if you are also someone who's about to go through the buying process, the three-part 
um, series was broken down to things to consider before you buy, then sourcing and securing property, and then post-purchase considerations. A worthwhile listen if you've got an extended period of time to put the earphones in, go for a walk or go for a drive and and, uh, tune in. And anything we've missed or anything that raises more questions, we'd love to hear from you in the Facebook group because we will collate them and do another episode sort of recapping what comes out of it. Uh, to make sure that you're getting some value and getting questions answered. Absolutely. Yeah, and just to bookend that whole land tax thing, um, obviously go to the state revenue office to check what your uh, land tax is and the rules and regulations and thresholds, etc. because you do need to have reasonably valued property for it to go over the threshold. So it's not all doom and gloom. Um, but in the example they gave, uh, if you had a currently a land tax bill of 1950 for this financial year, um, under the new aggregation of interstate properties um being introduced, that would increase to 8,400-odd So for the following years. And that's every year. That's payable every year. It's not just a one-off like stamp duty. Yeah. So. Indeed. All right. Well, that's a wrap, Emily. It is a wrap indeed. Again, if you're new, welcome. We're so excited to have you listen to our podcast. If you've been a long-time listener and you've heard us kindly ask for a review in the past and you're yet to give us some feedback in the form of a five-star review, uh, <laughs> take a moment put it through we'd love to see it any feedback that you have we're always open to and we just love doing the show we do indeed appreciate you uh you tuning in to us on a hopefully a weekly basis i, I met someone at the sydney show who only tuned in at like three months ago and had already gone back right to the start and is now <laughs> caught back up it's like oh wow, wow. That's, that's dedication <laughs> yeah i apologize to her <laughs> <laughs> love it Well, until next week, have a great week ahead. Yep. Okay. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.